Well, good morning. We are going to be reflecting on Galatians 3. And so if you want to pull out your pew Bibles, we're going to be going through section by section, skim reading some parts, and following Paul's logic and uh, his thought process as he's trying to communicate to these people in Galatia. I think it's on page 973. That's what I've been saying. No one's corrected me so far. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, While you're turning your page or your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, I do want to say a quick thank you. Thank you for St. Lawrence for what you do for the church at large because you guys have vicars every year. And so you guys are training pastors for the field and I am number 19. So you've been doing this for 19 years. And the next one, Joshua, who's coming within a week, he's number 20. That's 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 a celebration number, 20. So thank you for all that you've done for the church at large and training pastors. You should pray for your four pastors. Uh, I love them, and I'm thankful for them. Pray for their families and their spiritual lives. They were all mentors to me, each in their own way, and especially Pastor Kaiser, who was my immediate supervisor, and we had multiple meetings per week uh, talking about difficult things, debriefing difficult things of pastoral ministry. I've learned a lot this year, but I still have a lot to learn. And I have not come close to mastering what it means to be a pastor. And so on behalf of all the vicars before me and whoever comes after me, uh, forgive us for our deficiencies and shortcomings as we learn and develop. I've especially not come close to mastering the scriptures, the very word of God. And that's something I'm going to continue to try to do. Our family, Nicole, and our four children would like to thank many, many of you for welcoming us into your home for dinners or just for fellowship. Um, we've made a lot of good friends here and had plenty of great experiences. But what I am especially grateful for is being an outsider and watching the town of Frankenmuth just flourish. It's a super busy town all year round. And... It's where the good folks of Frankenmuth have carved out their semblance of the good life. Their semblance of happiness in this corner of the world. But you, St. Lawrence, you know the truth. You hold the key. That no matter what facade of the good life or facade of the happy life you can outwardly express, you know the truth. There is no such thing as the good life. There is no such thing as the happy life outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus is divine. He is the only thing that makes joy meaningful. Jesus, only Jesus. You take away Jesus, and what do you have? Nothing. And I know it, and you know it, and Paul knows it. And so in Galatians 3, we're going to start there. We're going to look at verse 1 through 9 first as a section. You can skim read it. I'm not going to quote all of it. Um, But I think maybe sometimes we forget what it means to be a baptized, what it means to be baptized into Christ. And the Galatians certainly forgot that. So look at verse 1. Paul starts it out. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? Who has bewitched you? And this whole beginning section, remember one through nine, this is what he's arguing. This is what he says. He's not arguing if they have the spirit. He's arguing 
how they received the Spirit. He's not arguing if they're sons of Abraham. They are sons of Abraham. He's arguing how they became sons of Abraham. And you're going to see as we continue through this chapter in a little bit, and really in the whole letter of Galatians, how Paul continues, continually just peels back layers and layers of, uh, to make it clearer and to explain to you what your relationship is to the law and what your relationship is to the gospel. And so here we are, okay? You foolish Galatians, let's get some context here. So you guys already kind of know from Pastor Fenske and Pastor Hubbard that in Galatia, there were these Gentile Christians becoming Christians, believers. How? By faith in Jesus. And yet there was something off. Something wasn't right. The Jews were still different. Even though they were all Christians and they were all saved by faith in Jesus, the Jewish Christians were still acting different. They had like a weightier form of Christianity. They had the law. They had thousands of years of culture building. They had all this tradition. They had the ceremonies, the rituals, the sacrifices. They had the covenant. The holy worship of God was given to Israel. The holy tabernacle and presence of God was given to them. The covenant, it was theirs. And so you have this Galatian folk, these Gentiles, who see this, and they want to become better Christians, stronger Christians. And so what do they do? This is just a funny statement. But in order to become stronger Christians, they're trying to be more Jewish. And so to them, they're like, well, if we become more Jewish, then we'll become more Christian. And look at Paul's response. You fools. You have the faith. You have the spirit because you have Jesus. And without Jesus, yeah, even you two Jewish Christians, without Jesus, you have nothing. Paul would know. Pastor Fenske in Galatians 1 gave a nice little background to Paul, and I'm going to repeat parts of it. There was nobody more zealous than Paul about the Jewish tradition. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the top of his class. He was fully identified. He fully identified himself in the substance of the law. That is until he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, he received the key, the truth. He received the key to understanding the Old Testament scriptures, the key to understanding the ceremonies, the key to understanding the law itself, why it was there in the first place. Now he realizes, he can go back and look at scripture. Now he realizes there was something off the whole time. They were broken. They were lifeless. Israel was dead the whole time. And the clues were always there. He just didn't see it before. You see, after he met Jesus, he can look back at the scriptures. Now he can look back because he has the key. He can see that Israel, the Jewish people, they never kept the law. He goes back and he sees things differently now because he has new information. He has Jesus. So he goes back to Mount Sinai and he sees Mount Sinai was a terrifying experience. They couldn't approach God on the mountain. And as the law was being given to them, they were breaking it as it was being given to them. And the whole time, Israel needed help. They needed intermediaries. They needed these mediators. They needed people like Moses, and they needed Joshua, and they needed the whole system of the Levitical priesthood, and they needed the prophets. They always needed people to help on their behalf. Why? Because they were dead the whole time. 
And they were under the curse of the law. And it's not that the law was bad. No, the law was good. They were bad. Something was off. They were broken. No, they were dead. The whole time. And the whole time, they needed a savior. They needed Jesus the whole time. Paul looks back and he can see clearly now he wasn't the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the sinner of sinners. And he needed the greatest intermediary of all time. He needed Jesus, only Jesus. Because without Jesus, Paul had nothing. So do you see why he's so passionate and so adamant about this? You foolish Galatians. Because the Galatians were living like he was before he met Jesus. They were going backwards. And so if we're following along here, let's see where Paul goes next. He says, don't you remember how you became Christian? That, that was verse 1 through 9. Now we're looking at verse 10. So what Paul does here in the next section, verse, um, verse 10 and, and a little bit beyond 10, 12, 11, or 10, 11, 12, those verses, he's introducing the idea of the law. He wants to teach them what the law was because they never understood it. He wants to show them what it is. And so he addressed it. Look at verse 10. It says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written. And now he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He says, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And now check this out. Try to logically finish this sentence. Where do you think Paul is going here? Logic, look at verse 11. Try to finish what he says here. Now it is evident... I like obvious. Now, it is obvious that no one is justified before God by the law because, see, I logically think I should say, well, because no one can fulfill the law. So no one's justified by it. That's not what Paul says. Look what he says. It's obvious that no one is justified before God by the law. Why? Because the righteous, the people who are righteous, they live by faith. You see, the law never had the potential to save anyone in the first place. That's not why it was given. It was always about trusting God. You know, we got to stop. We got to stop doing this. We got to stop looking at the Old Testament and saying, all oh, that Old Testament stuff, that's law. And then the New Testament stuff, that's gospel. That's grace. You got to stop doing that. It was grace the whole time. It was always gospel. It was always trust in God that saved. It was always the promise that gave life. And it was always faith in the promise all along. And so Paul, look at verse 15 through 18. That's what he does. Now he's introducing the promise. And if you look at the section, verse 15 through 18, it's interesting here. He has to give, he's got to explain it very clearly to these people. He gives this timeline and he appeals to a guy named Abraham. Now, why would Paul talk about Abraham? Well, because the people in Galatia are appealing to their lineage. They're saying, look, we're the ones related to the people who came across the boat and settled in Frankenmuth. No, 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 I'm sorry. We're the ones related to Abraham. We're special. We have the law. And Paul's going, you want to talk about Abraham? Let's talk about Abraham. Guys, Abraham received the promise 
430 years. That's what he says. Look at, look at the verses. 400, in verse 15 through 18, 430 years before the law ever came. And you're trying to tell me Abraham was justified because he was given the law and because he did things? He didn't do anything. Abraham was justified because God made him a promise and he believed. In fact, Abraham was worshiping other gods when God called him. He was a pagan. He gave him a promise. And Abraham said, I believe. And so in this section, verse 15 through 18, it, it, now the questions start getting raised. If, it, if God gave the promise first, and by the way, he gave it all the way back to Adam and Eve. He's just going to Abraham because that's what the people are arguing for, right? So if God gave the promise first, and it was the promise all along, the whole scripture, if it was always the promise that gave life, if it was always the promise that, that saved then why did God give us the law, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, the Ten Commandments, all of it? Why would God give us that? Look at verse 19. He answers it. Go ahead and try to meditate on this one for a while, by the way. Verse 19, he says, the law was given, right? Why then the law? The law was given because of transgression. The law was given because of sin. The law was a guardian to teach you something, not to save you. The law was put there to teach you something, to show you that something has been off about your life, to show you that you were broken. No, that you were dead the whole time. You see, the whole time, the law was there to point you to a helper, all along, the law was pointing you to the need for Jesus, the greatest mediator, the greatest helper, your savior, the whole time. To Adam and Eve, that was the promise, that a seed would come. To Abraham, that one would come. It was the promise the whole time. And so look how beautifully Paul ends this now. And this is the part that we read. And this is the part where people take these verses out of context so much in social media circles, right? There's no Jew or Greek. There's no man or woman anymore, right? This is what Paul, look at the context of what Paul is saying this whole chapter. This, this is, so now I change a little bit so we can understand with context the thrust of what he's saying here. He's, he's saying there's no distinctions in this life anymore that make a difference for salvation. That's how Paul ends. Look at verse 26 through 29. There is no advantage to being a Jewish person anymore. There is no advantage to being a Jew or a Greek for salvation. There's no advantage for, for salvation in being a boss or a master or a slave or being a CEO in the tallest building of the biggest city. There's no advantage to any social status. There's no advantage for salvation in being a woman. There's no advantage for salvation in being a man. There is no distinction in this life that makes a difference at the end of the day. Except one. At the end of the day, what matters except this one thing? You are either in Jesus or you're not. You either trust him or you don't. Nothing else matters. Or how the gospel said it, what was it? You are either wheat or you are weeds. You are either dead or you are in Jesus. That's it. There's no other distinction. All have sinned. All fall short. 
all are justified by grace found in Jesus. That's it. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. He is everything. And look at the beautiful way Paul talks about baptism. For as many of you, this is at the end there, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. So you were baptized, St. Lawrence, as far as I know, and you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And after the fact of receiving grace in baptism, you can never live up to it. But there it is. It's who you are now. You belong to Christ. So let me ask you this last question to finish it off here. Do you remember your life before you were baptized? So do you remember your life before Christ? Can you remember the dead person? I think you can. Even if you were baptized as an infant. Because I think it wasn't that long ago that you were reminded of the dead person. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was yesterday when the realities of the life we actually live in this world, the brokenness, that something has been off the whole time. Maybe the realities of that hit you yesterday with whatever's happening in your life. Maybe it was this morning on the way to church that you were reminded you're an angry person. What was dead still holds on to you with a death grip, even though you are saved and alive in Jesus Christ. And so here's the last charge for you. Meditate on the word of God. Read the scriptures. Meditate on the law of the Lord, but not in order so that you can master them and become this greater level of Christian because you've mastered the scriptures. No, meditate on the law of the Lord. Meditate on the word of God, all of it. Read it all so that it can master you and shape you and form you into what it means to be alive. And you'll notice that the more you read the word of God, the more you'll realize, just like Paul, who now has the key, that every part of scripture, everywhere in it, Old, New Testament, all of it, the more you read it, the more it points you over and over to Christ. That's the key Paul was given. The word of God is not about the history of mankind. It's about the history of salvation. The word of God, that's the key. That the word of God is not about what you do. But it's always been about what God has done for you. So yes, the dead part of you still holds on. But Jesus, the vine, he holds on to you all the more. And he doesn't let go. Jesus. He is the good life that was laid down on the cross. And make no mistake, St. Lawrence, it was for you, a dead person. It was for you that he died so that you might live all because he loves you. He loves you to death. So St. Lawrence, the last thing in my final sermon I want to say to you is this. I can confidently look at you 
and I can confidently say this. I see a living people living the good life in Jesus. Only Jesus. Amen.